You look perfect. All you need now is a coffee in one hand and a phone in the other. <laughs> Will you walk me to work? And I'll meet you for lunch as well. You can tell me how it's gone. Look, you're going to love it. I know you are. See you later. See ya. See ya. Have a good day. Oh, our little girl. Mm. <laughs> Does that sound weird? Well, she's got three dads. What could be more normal? Yeah. It's like that Spider-Man film, innit? What, a multiverse of dads? Yeah. I'm obviously the cool one. The talk of the street. 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 Hello and welcome to episode 214 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that should have got us somewhere, but no. So Fred said, let's have another cup of tea, and we said, right-o. I'm Gavin. All right, Pete Bernard-Cribbers. Way to steal my thunder. And I've been up since 5am this morning, and it's my fucking birthday. It's your birthday. We're going to party like a kid. We did this last year. It's your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> happy, happy, happy my birthday. Thanks. We're going to go to Canada for my birthday yeah. tomorrow. We're going to go to we a Canadian dis- national park. We didn't discuss this with Canada. No. I'm sure they'll be fine with it. Yeah. They they tend to like us. Yeah. <laughs> they haven't kicked us out yet. Not yet. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you have to go up bright and breezy to take number two child to the airport. It's right. been a month of going to the airport. Yes, and thus far, at least as far as the flying bit goes, it's been okay. No delays, no outbreaks of COVID or monkeypox on any of our flights, you know, no crashes. Real logistics, one of them to just ruin the whole run, doesn't it? (laughs) It's true. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do have to get number two back on a plane in two weeks. So I may have jinxed him. Yeah. Hopefully not for the plane crash bit. And I made him wear. (laughs) (laughs) That's something they say out loud. And I made him wear long pants. Made him wear sweatpants. So at least his bare legs won't be exposed if the person. To the the flames of burning wreckage. No, to any of the monkeypox virus that might be on the seats. Oh, is that how it spread, is it? Through airplane seats? Through touching fabric from someone who had it sitting there beforehand, as well as skin-to-skin contact. <sighs> so. You're ever the optimist, Helen. I'll give you that. It's my birthday. I have a right to be a Debbie Doubter on my birthday. Yeah. Because Especially when we get to the age that you're at. Yes. I'm not going to say my age. <laughs> How has your week been? My week's been fine. This is going to be the last week of this shit, though. Of what shit? This shit. This shit here doing this shit it's going to be the last week of it we're not doing the podcast anymore because i have in my hand 10 tickets we're still going to do the podcast even if you win a billion dollars because nobody pays us for this probably probably would still do it but you'd probably go out and buy more expensive headphones and microphones 10 tickets to the mega millions draw that's happening at 11 o'clock tonight and just Two and a bit hours, I think. Ooh. The 
jackpot as it stands is $1.2 billion. Yes. None of these numbers look great. <laughs> I've got 10 draws and the number one features in five of them. So half my draws are fucked immediately if one doesn't come up. <sighs> well. Lucky draws, lucky picks. We were talking about this at work today about how when the jackpot gets to this kind of level, you always see the same kind of articles in the paper about how much tax does the government take right. from your, your winnings. It's something like 25% right, right off the top. Yep. It's still a lot of money, though. And then, and then they say, well, and that, that's not the end of it because once you get to April, you'll have to pay... You have to pay more when you come to do your your end of year taxes or your taxes for twenty twenty two, and they kind of try and make it out like, yeah, it's just not worth winning one point two billion dollars. It's you know, still I, worth I, I it. Think I, I, I'll pay the tax on it. Yeah, and I'll be quite happy with the even if, let's say the five hundred million dollars that's left. Yeah, I think I'd get by. Right, but then we're talking about this further at work where. <laughs> What you get with your $500 million is fear and distrust and a bit of guilt. That's like a kind of poison chalice, really, because you don't you stop trusting people. You think people just want your money. You don't want anyone to know that you've won because they're going to break into your house and steal it. I you're worried that the bank's going to just collapse and you'll, you lose all your money. You're worried that your accountant's going to rip you off and steal all your money. So I decided... I still want half a billion dollars, please. And we have no friends, so nobody's going to try to steal our money or beg money off of us. Except maybe my family. <laughs> right. Love you guys. Yeah, they're getting, they're getting <laughs> written Fuck off. off. <laughs> written off immediately. <laughs> just for fear of that. <laughs> right, you just have to be make hard and fast decisions here. We would take my mom to Alaska. If we won, we'd take my mum to Alaska. We'd do do you know all- what? We'd, we'd take her to Alaska and I'd take her to that stupid bloody ark as well. <laughs> Just to be done with it. We'd buy that ark for her. She could live in it. And just employ gay people. <laughs> That's what we do with half a billion dollars. I really hope I win now. <laughs> but we would take her to Alaska because that's the last state she has to visit. And yeah, because she's been to Hawaii. She wasn't impressed with Hawaii. People are f- frequently disappointed in Hawaii, aren't they? Your mum, jeez, really. I could say something, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> it's your birthday, though. It is my birthday. Yeah, so maybe don't say something we, about we, your mum on your birthday. We, we didn't party like it was my birthday. No. Instead, I ate an overpriced omelette in the airport. Yeah, we're going to Canada tomorrow, though. That's true. <sighs> Shall we pre my dear? <laughs> yes, please. Give us some of that maple syrup coating news. The cast came together after hours to party at the Ivy in Manchester City Centre for their Ooh. summer cast party. It's nice to see them able to relax and let their hair down. Looking at you, Bill Fellows. We are absolutely gutted. They've let Jamie Kenna go. He's gone. It sucks. It fucking sucks and we hate it. He's been for a year. Fare thee well, Phil with two L's. We would have stayed married to you. Forever and ever. Did you listen to his little uh, farewell speech? I didn't realise he was a cockney. I'm not quite as upset now. (laughs) No, I am. 
he was a lovely character and he was a great actor. And yeah. just great chemistry with Ty and great chemistry with, with Fizz. And great chemistry with Evelyn and with and the, with the girls kids, yeah, absolutely. With pretty much everybody. You know, there's some decisions that get made and you wonder just what on earth the people and the powers that be are thinking of when they right. make, make those decisions. And this is definitely one of them. And I don't know how much... It sounded like from his farewell that he was having a rare old time and would have quite happily hung around, but... Absolutely. So... And it's weird, it's so weird too, he? because even if this is if this was their plan all along, even if they hired him to play this character who would eventually get his heart broken by Fizz, you would think that they would realize six months in how much the audience loves him, mm-hmm. how great he is, and would find a way to keep him on one way or another with yep. the way that they've done with other characters like uh like nina for example who i don't think initially was meant to be a long-term character there's certainly characters that have been there in the past that were just supposed to be fleeting but it it went so well or it i don't know if it even had to screen test well you just got a sense that this is this character's got more right more mileage in it. and i would have thought that phil would have been one of them absolutely i still don't understand fizz's decision just does not make sense to me. Physician. Mm-hmm. 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 And finally, as you briefly mentioned already once, we were absolutely devastated at the news of Bernard Cribbins' death this week at the age of 93. From Wally and Corey to Wilf and Doctor Who to literally everything in between in his 80-year career, we love you and miss you, Mr. Cribbins. Ah. <sighs> Poor Bernard Cribbins. Because he left school at 13 to become an apprentice stage manager. So he's been in the business since the age of 13. Mm-hmm. People are kind of my age and thereabouts that were familiar with the Wombles. Mm-hmm. You just grew up with that man's voice in your life. And, and it's a delightful voice. That's why yeah. I think he was involved with so many children's things. But the, the song that I was quoting from at the start, the, the Right Said Fred song, like a kind of parody comedy song from, I think, the 50s? I think it was the 60s. Really early, really, yeah. really early. And uh, the, the the complexity of the song and the, the storytelling uh-huh. of the song and the, the fun that's in that song. Because you never actually find out what these removal men are trying to move, which I think is... Part of the joke. Part of the charm and the joke of it, yeah. Yeah, off that same kind of ilk as Barry Cryer, where you just... Oh, a, a real, a real heritage piece of the British showbiz uh, landscape has has departed, and it's absolutely that's a real shame. Yeah, uh, I watched a clip yesterday, I think, of him singing the Marrow song, and it's like here here is this man basically making a dick joke in front of like a thousand people and they're all smiling and absolutely delighted and singing along to this this man you know singing about a woman not having seen one that big before (laughs) you know that is that is funny it is it's absolutely funny and he was in faulty towers that one time he was the he was mistaken for a food critic on faulty towers oh yeah yeah (laughs) he was in the carry-on films yeah, maybe not quite as many of them, but yeah. he was still still a presence in it. Yeah, and like you said, Doctor Who. Yes, as as Wilf. 
and a, and a, a few Catherine episodes Tate's of Granddad, right, of Coronation Street, where he was that kind of sleazy old man, sleazy old con man trying to fleece pensioners out of their money, right, and you know sleeping with Tracy. Yikes! After after Tracy steals him from her grandma, right. Which in itself is just hilarious. Right. Still creepy as fuck though, right? Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. More creepy in hindsight than it probably was at the time mm-hmm. for the viewers. But, you know, ended in Deirdre and Tracy fighting and falling Deirdre. into a pool. Yeah. When they're Back arguing, when soaps were good. When they're arguing next to a pool, there can be only one thing that happens <laughs> after that. Now let's follow our, and own, that's news. our own little tradition by jumping right into World Podcast for Coffee. Thanks to Trisha for our coffees today. Thanks, Trish. Thank you, Trisha. Stay cool and caffeinated, my dear podcaster, she says. Aww. Enjoying the show, as always. Aww. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it, Trisha. Yes. We're not drinking coffee at the moment, though, because no. we're recording this one at night. Yes. Because as I think we've mentioned, we're going to Canada tomorrow. Yes. And it's, you know what they say about Canada? <laughs> Get in early. <laughs> so we shall be leaving when we would normally be recording this. Correct. But today I am drinking a fancy Diet ginger beer from Goslings, mm-hmm. with, a, with, with a seal on the front instead of a instead of a baby goose. You know, it has a seal that is wearing a, a life preserver ring, right? With uh, Stormy written on it. Yes, I wouldn't have thought a seal would need a life preserver, but yeah, I think the seal's name is Stormy. What do you think? Yeah, still doesn't need a flotation device. And think. also, still not a baby goose. No, and a non-alcoholic Guinness. Yes. Which are just so good. What about you? Yes. I'm drinking iced tea, so I am hydrated and caffeinated. Very good stuff. 8.46 at night. Thanks again, Trisha. Uh, if you want to buy us next week's coffees, you can go to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com, slash the talk of the street, and we will be very appreciative, won't we, Helen? Sure. Absolutely. There we go. <laughs> that's the enthusiasm. Sorry, I had iced tea in my mouth. That we've all come to expect. <laughs> And now this. Oh, welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the gasps of appreciation. <gasps> Is this gasps of appreciation at, at the manly manliness of that calendar? Kinda. This was Steve, Tim and Dev anticipating the reaction from the women folk ahead of their scrummy, scuddy calendar launch. This was an early podcast because we were going away for your happy, happy birthday again. Yes. Where did we go last last year? Where did we go, Helen? Oh, we went to our little cabin in the woods. Little cabin in the woods. Yes, where we had to sleep in the loft and you couldn't stand it. So you slept on the couch instead. It was like sleeping in a coffin. (laughs) And then the power went out. Because we had that mahoosive storm and, and we couldn't flush the toilet. That's right, because we had well water and without a pump, that's staying in the well. That's right. Uh, it looked like Brittany was about to get free, thanks in part to stuff you should know. You were ploughing through Emmy nominations and we uh, were buying steaks from the mafia. <laughs> that That was, that's still one of those moments that I think will just live forever in my mind. That moment when we bought steaks from the mafia. 
when we walked into that that butcher shop mm-hmm. the with, mafia front with you know this group of people at this table drinking wide who all collectively looked over at us as we walked in the door well what do you know <laughs> customers and that sold us some delightful steaks that you then grilled on the Blackstone that was at the cabin in the woods. And yep. then you came home and bought one. Yeah, because I loved it so much. Yes. That's still a good grill. It is. Yeah, that's that was that town's uh, obvious money laundering front. Yes. I invite you to think of what is the obvious money laundering front in your town. James celebrates raking in 30 grand from his coming out story by getting himself in the market for a new motor, but the test drive home turns sour when a traffic cop sees him gingerly make his way around the corner. Remember that? Mm. Hope is making a collage of her extended family. As when part- the Baileys solved racism yeah. for the first time. This, I think, was the third time that they solved racism because they solved it when uh, Ed's boss was racist. I thought that was after no, this. No, that was that because was, it was that Ray was Weinstein. Just, that was just after they moved in. This was this was later. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Hope is making a collage of her extended family as part of a school project, but also to know her dad as she takes exception to Tyrone putting the new baby and his wallet ahead of her because Alina was pregnant, remember? Yes. Laura's new job isn't going so well, but she has an idea for a story with the Weatherfield Gazette that might bring in a bob or two until her daughter gets wind of the scheme. Ahead of the Weatherfield Scud calendar, Summer bumps into Will and casually mentions the £1,000 that Todd used to bail Billy out of his heat pump was remember when heat pumps became a thing mm. cut a surprise for another week grace has a website and imran and toya run out of cheesy puffs our moment of the week was todd getting found out and our boring moment of the week was steve explaining white privilege to tim and that was coronation street oh my god i can't and believe i forgot about this time last year steve explaining white privilege to tim yeah sometimes tim just doesn't want things explained to him no it's true. I have a feeling we're going to be coming across another one of those very soon. I think we might. Mm. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Our first storyline this morning, this afternoon, this evening, is our last storyline. So let's dive into our second storyline, which is Leaves of Ass. Wait, what? <laughs> On Monday, Fizz and Tyrone oh, are coming oh, to terms. Oh, that's right, yep. I know what this is in referral to. They're coming to terms with what they've done. She plans to meet up with Phil later to get... Oh, hold on. I had a bit of mailbag that I wanted to read out that I forgot about. This is just a follow-up to last week when uh, Blair from Parts Unknown requested the episode numbers. Well, we did that. And they came back uh, this week to say... Thank you for taking up my suggestion of adding the episode numbers. It's July 28th and episode 10698 has just screened here in New Zealand. Aha! Spoilers will be avoided. No more plugging my ears and going la 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 mid-storyline. Just pure listening pleasure without the trepidation. Cheers, Blair. A genuinely hairy kiwi. (laughs) That's why I wanted to read that out. Thanks, Blair. Thanks, Blair. So yeah, leaves the past then. On Monday, Fizz and Tyrone are coming to terms with what they've done. She plans to meet up with Phil later to get back the rest of her stuff that's at his house, the one that they never stayed at. Fizz has washed, dried, misfolded, got guilty, washed, dried, and ironed all her stuff that he brings around. He's also brought that signed annulment form that he refused to sign the other day. So right, yeah, that he said he was going to war with and enjoy a year of, of torment. Mm-hmm. I guess not. 
that, that I was taking as quite a positive sign that Phil was going to be in it for right for another twelve months. Yes, at, at least. But yes, and that it it might lead to some interesting storylines. Yeah, but no, he's had his ninth change of heart. Yeah, because he's been reading poetry and he's signed it. Fizz is touched and grateful and hands back his ring. Phil, and I like that. Phil solemnly tells her that she was enough for him, which I thought was quite powerful. Yeah. She was more than enough, actually. She was his world, but he was only her option. Yeah, and, then, and that was pretty powerful too. Absolutely. And then he brings a bit of class to proceedings by selectively quoting Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass. I think it is lost, but nothing is ever lost, nor can be lost. The body sluggish, aged, cold, the embers left from earlier fires shall duly flame again and then he says tell your ember that he is truly a lucky man and he leaves and Fizz who has been confused this entire time and holding in a fart finally lets it go do you think Phil knows that Walt Whitman is referring to another man no probably not still by referring to Tyrone as, as the ember. Give some hope for my my fan fiction. That the Phyron could be a thing? <laughs> uh, Phil, what could have been? Phyron Phil, Phil, is. Are you okay, Helen? <laughs> still. Nice of, them, nice of them to use. Still with two L's. Nice of them to use American poetry for once. I feel like Walt Whitman's been quoted before. I think Walt Whitman is the only poet that Coronation Street is aware of. Oh, no, there was that. No, no, because... There was that other person that wrote the the rhyming stuff that we mocked that time, remember? Right, yes. And I think Daniel has has quoted other poets. I'm sure he has. He has. One of your favourites, I think, Elizabeth Browning, wasn't it? Did they not quote her? Probably. Yeah, because wasn't he reading her a book of her poet? Yes, the yes, summer. the whole summer thing. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Happy birthday, Helen. <laughs> Back from the Leavers presentation. Time Fizz are keen to go out to celebrate with the girls, but they have to convince Hope to come as she's playing online with some uh, mates later. And it comes out that Ruby's been a gossip about Jack's parentage and another storyline, and that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Ruby's wee face, oh my god. Ugh. She's like, Grr. she's pulling the face off. That's one of the reasons collar. why that scene was hilarious. There are others which we will get to. Oh. Yes. <laughs> That's a, a very on point uh, mime. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. So they go out and then they come back home again and Tyne feels grateful that this Phil business is over and that fucking poetry nonsense is long forgotten. Later, Hope, who has been on her tablet all day, has got several messages from someone whose name I can't remember, but I'm going to call them Meat Hook, asking, <laughs> asking about brothers and sisters and, Mad whether, dog. and whether she gets on with her mum and dad. Which isn't as funny as Meat Hook. And creepy shit like that. She and Sam chat on their walkie-talkies about it. And he reckons that Meat Hook fancies her. Well, that only proves that he's human, says Hope. And that's as far as we get. Right, that's yes. thrilling. He, get, he better get in line. Right. Now, who do you think Mad Dog is? Meat Hook. <laughs> Let's just call him call it Meat Hook, shall we? It's been so long since we've come up with an amusing name for somebody. I've, I've, uh, do you I, think it's someone we know? There has been some speculation that it might be Jed. 
Oh, not again. But well, no, no, see? no, no. <laughs> Phil I, can't leave, and then Jade <laughs> immediately comes back in again. No. Would you rather Alita come back? Yes. Okay. Uh, actually, I think I would prefer it to be Jade than for it to be some creepy predator because is Hope is Hope really old enough to have her sexual assault storyline? Are, are are we up to Hope now? I no, mean, Summer a was a last. That's a couple of years away. Well, no. Maria was last, but it wasn't Maria's first go around in that. So, <sighs> it's your birthday. It is my birthday, and Phil is gone. I'm looking forward to Alina coming back and seeing the tattoo of Rusty Lee on <laughs> Tyrone's leg and wondering what happened to the the TNA that was there, so to speak. Well, the T is still there. Yeah. <laughs> For to say, who is that black woman on your leg, Tyrone? <laughs> With the dreadlocks. Right. The one that looks nothing like Fizz. Aww. Yeah, that one. Yeah, this was just kind of Phil Swan song, really, wasn't it? And then the start of this, I, I guess, some kind of grooming storyline that's, that's going to start. Uh, yeah, hook. yeah, because apparently it's Hope's turn to be sexually assaulted on this show. Oh, no, she's far too young for that. But, well, but it has to be put in the in the danger of that happening. Right. Well, I'm I'm using I'm using that as a broad umbrella term right. for what I should say is sexual harassment because grooming, harassment, mm-hmm. assault, you know, we just got done with Maria's, you know, deep fake porn stuff. So it's it's time for another woman to be scared to death by men. It's almost like once uh, female actors get to a certain point of proficiency that, mm-hmm. okay, now you're fair game. Right. Yeah. It's it's like how, you know, every black character has to go through their racism story. Mm-hmm. <sighs> what else happened in this? That was basically about it. That was basically it? it. Yeah. I was disappointed we didn't get to see Hope open Phil's present because Phil had bought her a present for her leaving day. Mm-hmm. And he was so very sweet about, you know, how much he loved them, but he could not be in their lives because he cannot be in Fizz's life because of what Fizz has done to him. Yeah. Which is kind of surprising given how, how much Hope has, or the lines that Hope has gone to to destroy that relationship. That's true. Along with his car. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know why people Maybe just love- as well that she didn't open up because it's liable to just blown up in her face. Why do people love Hope? Well, why do we love her? Because one day she's going to take them all out. We love her because she's evil, but we don't live on the street. That's true. All right, let's move on then to our next storyline today, which is Homeless Daughterless Stew. On Monday, Homeless Stew is on his way to buy truffle oil. And he sees Ty and Fizz being happy families together, which gives him a little pang, doesn't right. it? Right, yes it does. When he's gone, Yasmi admits to Alia that she's called off her search for Bridget. But Alia convinces her to go for it, as Stu is clearly missing his family because he looked at Hope and Ruby funny. At speed dial, Alia's flirting with a sales rep called Matt. And yes. n- none of this is lost on Ryan because no. Ryan's back and he's watching this. Yes, he is. He chats with Homeless Stew about it, insisting that he and Alia are just mates now. Homeless Stew says that he used to have a mate like that. Oh, yeah, what happened to her? I, I married, married her. her. Later, at speed dial, Yasmin reveals that on her trip to the library, because that's where she was going to meet her friend Julie. Really? Her name's Julie, is it? Is it? Tell us more about this Julie character that you've never talked about before, hmm. Jasmine, please. She's managed to track down Bridget, who is now going by her mother's maiden name. 
She hands over a piece of paper with Bridget's address on it, and Homeless Stew is furious. Yes. How dare you interfere in my life like this? Right. And it's off he storms. Yes. You and Julie, the librarian, who can find anything because that's what librarians do. We're magic. Was she the librarian or was she just at the library? No, I think she's the librarian because librarians are able to do things as you know have training as far as searches online searches and things are concerned because these days most people go to the library to do uh genealogy research and stuff like that yeah, just don't jump on the ancestor or whatever yeah well ancestor's not free the library's oh, free. that's true what you need is a mate who has a password and you just pick it back on his <laughs> she was in the community garden looking sad when kelly drops in to see what's up he explains that yasmin has found his daughter Kelly manages not to balance that up with her recent problems, but instead boys his spirits, tells him that there's no rush to get in contact and Yasmin is a good person. Stu wishes that Kelly was his daughter too. Aww. And then she said, but then I couldn't call you Stu Pot. <laughs> and I love it when she calls him Stu Pot. Yes. Even though this is like, what, the first time she's ever done it? Maybe the second time. I okay. Think, I think she did it when she was homeless. Remember that time that she was homeless? Yes. Yeah. Yes. When she was assaulted by those kids and... And Nina had to save her, and then Nina had to relive her yeah, own assault. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. All that stuff. Definitely and then happened. you wonder why I'm so depressed. So Homer Shoe goes to the address, but Bridget doesn't want to see him and tells him to leave. He insists that he didn't hurt that girl, and he hasn't mm. stopped thinking about her, Bridget, not the girl, mm. in 34 years. But she Oof. can't do this, and she closes the door on him, and he leaves. Then Stephen's back. Yay. He turns up to speed dial for lunch and he flirts with Yasmin and he's also a bit of an asshole as he goes through their menu. Yasmin wanders off when Holmes Stew comes back. When did when did Stephen become an asshole? Yeah. Was he always an asshole? Because he's a real asshole this week. Mm. He's a real asshole this week. She apologizes for interfering, but he apologizes for snapping at her. He says that he went to the address but it wasn't his daughter. Mm. That's what his daughter would say. Right. He just wants to put it all behind him, and he seems oddly jealous of her and Stephen. And then despite supposedly covering for Z all week, because that's what he said he was he was going to do, right. Homeless Shoe fucks off for the rest of the day. <laughs> Later, Stephen reveals what he wants for dessert. Yasmin. He wants Yasmin. Yasmin thinks that Stu isn't interested enough, so decides to pursue it. Meanwhile, Stu's gone back to the community garden and looks glum as he watches Yasmin and Steve leave. Not Steve. Stephen leave. Probably because this means Alia and Navid are having to cover the entire restaurant on their own now. Mm-hmm. Yasmin and Stephen go to the bistro where they run into Billy, who tells them uh, that he has a book about homeless people that Stu might be interested in, <laughs> and tells Stephen that Yasmin works wonders at his soup kitchen, which makes Stephen be a dick about soup now. Right, yeah. He says, he, he makes reference to Warhol. Yeah, he says and his that- soup paintings, and it's like, Stephen, those were cans. Those weren't like bowls of soup. They were cans of soup, though. Right, yes, but that was more about criticizing commercialism and capitalism as opposed to feeding people soup. I think the important thing from Stephen's point of view, rather than appreciating the art or the purpose behind Warhol's, uh, what was it, screen screen printing? Yeah. Was just to be a dick. Still... We we had an American poet mentioned, and now we've had an American artist mentioned, so... Yeah, he says... Here we go. He says that uh, 
there isn't a problem in the world that probably couldn't be solved by soup. And I don't know what he's trying to mean by that. It seems very flip. Yeah, and also I'm not sure why Billy thinks it's his job to try and make Yasmin look in a certain light for a suitor. That, yeah. seems, that seems kind of... It seems... N- nothing, nothing to do with him. Well, Not this, his business, this, that's it. Not this, his business. This is true, but it's also kind of sweet, you know, talking up Yasmin, who is a good person and should be talked up more often. Yasmin does not enjoy the soup banter and she, no, she leaves doesn't. and joins homeless Stu in the garden. Already sick of Stephen's patter, she'd much rather sit with her homie. Yes. With homeless Stu wonders if, yes, if because he's her homie. Because Yasmin is down with the kids who yeah. definitely do not say homie no. anymore. She admits <laughs> that she doesn't even know what homie means. <laughs> but the two of them hold hands and it's lovely. Yes, that was sweet. She warns him that she's still healing from Tim's dad and asks him to be patient. Secretly, Homeless Stu throws away Bridget's address and then he and Yasmin walk hand in hand down the street away from the garden. And I wonder if you can remember the last time they used a shot like that. Was it Maria after she uh, destroyed that van? No. I think it was Billy and Paul. No, because Maria destroyed the van after the whole Billy and Paul thing. But she didn't walk down the street hand in hand with anybody. No, but it was a a dolly shot from above with somebody walking down the street. But you you can see that she wasn't walking hand in hand with anybody. No, that's true. So when I'm talking about when this last happened with people walking hand in hand 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 with each other, you can see why I'm really looking at the the Paul and and Billy thing. The romantic Mm. aspect. Yeah. And we will talk about Paul Paul and Billy. Paul and Billy. Paul and Billy and and Odd. Well, I ran out of. I'd already. Ball, ball, and Tilly and Pod. There the, we go. This might well be our last podcast, <laughs> even if we don't win the Mega Millions. <laughs> I can feel all that, like, like the goodwill. the goodwill from from several hundred listeners and <laughs> two thousand Twitter followers <coughs> just ebbing away. On in Wednesday. a dozen countries. Yeah. On Wednesday, it's Spidal Homeless Juice spots an old friend. It's homeless Glenn Campbell. The Wichita lineman. But not that one. Waiting to be served. And he loves you more than... Needs you. Needs you. And he needs you for all time. They catch up and we learn that homeless Glenn Campbell is in a hostel and has a job as a greeter at Freshco. He asks for the onion badges, but Homeless Stew promises to take care of them, but not like that. He slips 20 quid into the register. Yeah. Yasmin sees this and talks to Stu about it. Stu says that people have shown him kindness since he arrived, and he's just kind of paying it back now. Yasmin kisses Homeless Stew's cheek. You're totally getting your hole tonight, she says to him. Chatting more about Glenn Campbell and his back catalogue, but really not getting much beyond Wichita linemen. No. Homeless Stew announces that he wants to do something positive with their food waste and give it to the poor and hungry, only asking what people can afford, and Yasmin thinks this is a wonderful idea. Homeless Stew goes to Nina's Rolls and gets her and... Chesney. Now, why is Chesney suddenly back in the show, Helen? You're welcome! <laughs> Where's Chesney? Where's Chesney? Because you're Scottish now, and that was actually a pretty good Scottish accent. <laughs> it's almost as if I live with a Scottish person. Mm-hmm. But it was, and uh, also watch a lot of Scottish television. It was a very, a very uh, 
specific type of Scottish person. It, it was a, it was somebody's Auntie Mary talks like that. That's what that sounded like. So Nina and Chesney are in on this from the cafe and the kebab shop and the chippy, and they all arrange to meet at Speed Dial later for a powwow. Don't even start with me on that. Twice this week in this show. Twice. I had to just shake my head at the use of indigenous words that in this country we know not to use in these ways anymore because they are offensive in referring to things that are not indigenous. But in the coronation but for some street- reason, But for some reason, Nina acts like she's never heard the word before, which was weird. Nina was acting very weird this she week. She was quite weird. It was she very was, weird. She was written I didn't like it. No, I didn't like it. No, I didn't either. Change your back. Uh, in the Coronation Street Book of America, there are just a few things. Walt Whitman, <laughs> Glenn Campbell, a powwow. That's and, it. And, and the other P word that comes up later when Kev says it. Right. I don't think I actually have that in my notes. So. Good. Yeah. We call it a snuggly here for a reason. Oh. Yeah, so what's Glenn Campbell doing? Oh, nothing. No, he's we're, gone. We're, past, past we're, we're past Glenn Campbell. Glenn Campbell, another, an American musician. <laughs> there we go. Another entry into the Coronation Street <laughs> Book of America. Book of America. Americana by Corey. <laughs> so the great and the good are Weatherfield Chamber of Food-Based Commerce and Billy all meet at Speed Dial and agree that Homeless Stew is the best homeless character ever for having such a belter of an idea. Homeless Carol never had any ideas like this, says Sean, who, who <laughs> no one's invited. <laughs> And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, well, Billy is there because he runs the soup kitchen, so he knows all of the homeless people who might want to partake yeah. in this in this delightful... Partake of the soup. Well, and the leftover kebabs mm-hmm. and sandwiches that are almost at their sell-by date yeah. from devs. The yellow label stuff. Now, do we have yellow label stuff over here? I don't we do. think they're yellow labels, though, are they? Or yeah, are they- and they say manager special. Manager special. Yeah, and they are yellow. So what you'll get in the UK is people that go to their Tesco or their Asda or something like that, round uh-huh. about like eight o'clock at night when things like the sandwiches that are past their... Right. They're not past they're their best. They're just about, right. They're not bad. Yeah. But they're starting to curl a little bit. Right. They'll stick a yellow label on that and people get them at rock bottom prices, which is yes. a very sensible thing to do, especially in this day and age. Yes. For the cost of living and all that sort of stuff. Right, yes. We've... we've We've bought manager specials before. Oh, another bought yellow label stuff all the time before. There was yeah. nothing wrong with it. Right, absolutely. Yeah, it's nice because here, like each section kind of has like a shelf, like in the dairy section, like right by the juice, right in that corner before the juice becomes like the cheese and the butter. There are like two shelves with the manager specials. Mm-hmm. And then there's that, that shelf by the bread with the manager special bread. So they make it easy. Yeah, they do. Because they want to get rid of it. Yep. They don't want to put it in a dumpster. They want to get rid of it and they also want to get some of their money back on it. Right, yeah. All right, so this storyline then, we have uh, Yasmin and Homeless Stew finally... Knocking boots. Seemingly coming together of sorts. Yes, but unfortunately, Ryan and Alia is, is still a no. I thought that they were... Very close to a yes, 
months ago. The last time we seen them, I thought they did have little longing looks at each other. Right. He admitted that he still loved her and she had that look on her face. And then we didn't see anything more until no. now and where she's seems... flirting with some guy named Matt. Yeah. It seems that the producers have changed their minds about that. Uh, at, at least for the time. At, at least for the time being. They will crop up in another storyline in a little bit. Yes. How are you feeling about <coughs> Yasmin and Holmes Stew together? Well, I think it's delightful. I think it works pretty well you know, if if she if she cannot be a lesbian on the show mm. at least she can be with someone with good hair right and it does have remarkable hair he has gorgeous hair i think maybe even better than claudia well it's different kind of hair, because at least we know all of homeless stews <laughs> is his own definitely right no hair extensions for homeless stew yeah i'm just wondering why it's taken everyone so long to realize that all these Food businesses have an awful lot of waste. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, they hadn't had a need for this particular storyline because they didn't have any homeless people until now. Except yeah. for Carol. And the homeless person before was Stu himself. Right. For he dropped in to get some... Remember when he dropped in to Speed Dial and he was a bit fussy about his... Uh, about the curry that he was going to get. Right. And we were left to think, is it okay for him to be fussy about that? And absolutely it's okay for him to be fussy. That's what we decided. I can't remember what we decided. Well, I'm saying right now, it's okay for homeless people to be fussy about the food that they're given. They shouldn't just be grateful for whatever slop you throw at them. That's true. They're still human beings. You introduce the word slop into the conversation. I think it becomes much clearer (laughs) after that. Thank you. You're welcome. Right. What about Bridget, though? Yeah, I. It feels like we're 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 adding some some darkness to. Stu's back history. What which, is this girl that he talks of? Right. Was he in an accident? Was he trying to teach Faye to drive one new year? And <laughs> was he playing his guitar and singing one of his homemade songs and, and a girl threw herself off a cliff? <laughs> or in front of a train or... <laughs> something like that. So, something severe. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Helen, I don't know the answer to that question. 34 years. Now, that now, was an interesting point. Is, is yeah, that- because because remember when it seemed like, well, first of all, it didn't seem like his daughter would be that old because she's like in her 40s. Yeah. And also the way he talked to Kelly months ago when they were both still homeless made it seem like he hadn't been gone for very long. I, I can find no proof of this, but I've thought that they were recently estranged yeah because i didn't think that he'd been on the uh, on the street for that long right and i thought that even though he seemed very savvy skilled at it yeah but his hair was great and his teeth were great so i don't yeah, think he'd true. been i don't think he'd been in the street for that long mm. but you yes know, he, his he, hair, he was a his wise hair and man. teeth were as good as that character from where the crawdads sing right not the only problem with that movie. <laughs> Not the only problem with that movie. But um, but yeah, he seemed somewhat skilled in right in, in that life now. So he'd been there from for maybe right. maybe a little while, right, like a year or something like that, maybe. But I didn't think that it'd been decades since right. he'd last seen his and, daughter. And, yeah, because decades ago he'd have been in the navy. Right. One would one would think. Yeah, it just messes with the timeline of Sue's life for me, and it really confuses me. Right, so when did they last see his wife? Was that the same 30-odd years ago? 
Because I'm sure because that he talked about divorced. them. Because they're not divorced. I'm sure he talked about them in more more recent terms. Than yes, that. yes, I'm sure that he did. I can't find any proof of it, but I'm There was I'm a conversation with positive. Kelly when they were still on the street. But then the timeline changed with a conversation with Yasmin when he first started talking about wanting to get... Yes. So this has been all over the place. It feels like they had an idea of his backstory when... The, when he was introduced right and they didn't realize he was going to become such a popular character that they wanted to keep around and they've, they've kind of changed that right to yeah. retrofit a, a continuity problem in coronation street well we can't be sure never we can't be sure never but happens it, but it be. i hope ever. we see uh, i hope we see glenn campbell again yes and maybe he sings a different song from wichita lineman <laughs> not that i can name one that's a good song though the wichita lineman all right, let's move on to our next storyline, which is Job for the Summer. Hot girl summer. On Monday, Summer is in Nina's roles when Billy comes in and he wastes no time in pressurising her into figuring out what she's going to do if she's not going to uni. Because it's not too late, you can go back to uni if you'll get your results and you want to go to uni, says Billy, who really wants Summer to go to uni. She says that she'll be spending the day looking for jobs. Oh, rats arses, says Billy. Right. He acts as if she said that she's going to spend all day smoking pot and getting a tattoo. And lap dancing. And getting pregnant. So Jacob. He's such a weird parent. Jacob finds someone in Nina's roles scanning the uh, situations vacant, but this time I think they've heard you. She's doing it online. She bemoans how everyone wants experience, all these pr- prospective employers. Some are wanted to go to Oxford, remember. She doesn't realise that people want experience. Jacob right. suggests, why don't you try the factory? Because Carla is looking for a PA since the last one turned out to be a fucking psycho. At the factory, Carla worries that Summer is overqualified for the PA job and will leave her in the lurch within six months. Summer explains about her year and how she's had a real rough time of it and she needs a reboot and she will not let Carla down. And Carla essentially gives her the job because of the Aiden campaign from three or four years ago. Right. And this puts Beth's nose right out of joint because yes. she was promised a management position. Not that a PA is a management position. Right, yeah. It's not sitting at a machine Right, position. and then Carla reminds her about that one time that they let her into a meeting mm-hmm. and how well that went. <laughs> right. At the Bistro, Billy thinks this is a great stopgap. And this puts Summer's nose out of joint. She tells Billy to be happy for her, so Billy makes a trumpet noise and buys her dessert. (sighs) On Wednesday, Aaron comes along to walk Summer to work, and they promise to meet for lunch. Billy is dismissive of Summer's job, but he and Paul secretly agree that they're proud of their daughter, although Paul wonders if this multiverse of dads is a weird situation. It is! (laughs) It is! Not because they're three dads, not because they're gay, but because Todd paid a boy to catfish Paul into thinking that he was suicidal and needed his help just to try to get back in Billy's pants and broke them up. And that was only found out a year ago. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, not, it's not even that... He's allowed into the house. There was one shot tonight. I think it was tonight where he and Billy are sitting like right next to each other on the couch. And Paul kind of has his arm like behind 
Billy. It's it's on the couch, but still, it's kind of, you know, the whole thing where they seem much closer than they should be on that couch. Somebody should be sitting in a chair. Right. Yeah. And another and anybody else should be standing up. Right. In the corner. Right. The way they used to. Right. It is weird, but I did appreciate the multiverse reference. As I know you would. Yes. At the factory, someone has already forgotten how Carla takes her tea. Which Spider-Man would Billy be? Uh, would he be Andrew Garfield? The, the ginger one. <laughs> it's with milk. Beth has sand in her vagina about someone unplugging a machine so she could charge her phone. Rightly so. Right, yeah. And also... Someone's just wandering around about the factory pulling out machines. things. And Beth says... Thank God she doesn't have a job at the hospital. Smart. And that is a joke of the week. Smart people are really dumb. Right, right. And we can be. Smart people sometimes don't have an awful lot of common sense. You should see some of the stuff Gav does. I tried to fry orange juice one time. <laughs> That's true, you did. I'd forgotten about that. Well, you weren't there. Yeah, but you told me about it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny way to make an omelette. It is. Why does it smell so orangey Fruity. fresh? <laughs> Sally takes summer under her wing and they arrange to have lunch tomorrow because she's already got plans for today. Yes, she does. But Aaron turns up late for his lunch with because Summer. Of another storyline. Thanks in part to events in another storyline. She fills him in on her morning with but Beth not like that. being a cow. He's barely interested and it turns out that he claims to have been assaulted at some point between the garage and the pub. Summer wants him to go to the police and the hospital because that's why those sets were built. <laughs> but Aaron snaps at her to fucking shut her stupid woman mouth and he goes back to work. He does have this big massive bruise on him though yeah isolated to a place where you wouldn't see it unless you took your shirt off hmm. Hmm. later Arden and summer meet in the community garden and he apologizes for his behavior earlier she continues to pester him for eating something and getting himself checked out but he's calmed down now about all that sort of stuff and back home, Aaron seems to be having a horrible phone call with someone demanding his immediate presence when Summer walks in from doing a shite and he pretends to have been talking to the cops, which makes her happy because that's what she wanted him to do. Right. Then Aaron makes his excuses and leaves. Yes. On Friday, Summer bumps into Billy on the street. She's meeting Ash and Amy for lunch, which is progress, he says. He announces that he will be out all day ensuring religion is still happening, so she thinks about asking her friends round for a pamper session, which sounds a bit too try-hard for me. You're just getting back with your friends. Oh, let's suddenly have a pamper session round about round my place. You know what? Some are just baby steps, right? Right. You did a fairly bad thing here. Your friends were understandably pissed off with you. Seriously. They're letting you back in. I'd take that more gently. And I think they're only letting her back in because Addie's with Kelly now. So he's obviously over summer, as he rightly should be. Right. Because she's awful. In Nina's roles, Amy and Asha reluctantly relent and agree to be friends with Summer again, although they suggest that Summer should be getting her hold tonight rather than hanging out with them. Yeah. Amy thinks it's better to get this out of the way before the holiday, <laughs> and Summer asks for some help to decide what to wear. So romantic, Amy. Yeah. Get it out of the way. Apparently case... Amy gets her hold all the time now because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Right. Except and... Amy is only getting it on with, with Jacob. And no swimming pools need to be fallen into. No. She can't steal anyone from her grandma, sadly. Because Deirdre's dead. Right. And and Bev Collard is now teaching yoga. In Spain. Yes. 
Ash and Amy are at the factory giving Summer various outfits to try on ahead of getting her haul. That's nice that uh, Summer has invited her friends round to her place of business to bring samples for her to try on. I just, I just remembered your cousin's wife teaches yoga in Spain or personal training. I wonder if she knows Bev. I wonder if they've taught a class together. Do you know what? I will message her as soon as we're done talking about this. But the first outfit is too tight and so frantic because of the eating disorder thing we keep on forgetting about. Summer rushes away to change out of it. And she moves, or she changes into something black by the time we see her next. And she's right. rapidly trying to clean up her bedroom. Right, because that's a mess. And Summer's foreplay idea is watching cat videos. And then she moves in for a heavy duty snog with Aaron. But when Aaron responds and starts to feel her up, Summer panics and throws him out. And he leaves before Todd and Billy arrive, Todd getting all alpha dad when Summer mentions that she had a boy there. She gets a text from Aaron and she rushes off to see him while Billy tells Todd to wind his fucking neck in. Seriously, and I'm afraid he's not going to wind his fucking neck no, in. No, he's not. Summer explains to Aaron that she really wants to get a hole off of him, but she doesn't want him to see her naked. He suggests switching the light off. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Summer doesn't find compliments useful, but Aaron knows what she's going through. They both wish that they hadn't hadn't got their hole in the way that they didn't get it. And Summer hopes that she'll be sorted by Barcelona. But Aaron, he wants to cancel it while she's working on herself, but not like that. Right. So Summer gets home and tells Billy and Todd that Aaron has cancelled the holiday and has also cancelled the relationship again. Maybe she should work on herself like that, because then at least then she'd know what she likes. And she'll be able to tell him right. when they do eventually, you know, do the deed. Right. Todd thinks it's because she wasn't putting out. But worse than that, they've broken up for the third time in a month. And Todd sits there looking like he's hatching a little plan here. Right, because he still thinks that she, he broke up with her because she wouldn't put out. Mm-hmm. Despite some are saying, that, no, that's not what happened at right. all. Well, well she, she kind of says, she kind of... She does not say enough because she does not explain what it was about. She says, no, that wasn't it. But then she doesn't say it wasn't it. What it was is because I still have this eating disorder that the three of you, well, not Paul. Paul doesn't really ignore it, but Todd and Billy do. And she doesn't want to talk about it with them because they get Todd and Billy about things. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of throwing yet another boy under the bus. She is not good girlfriend material. Well, it's not. Is it their business? She doesn't have to tell them that, does she? Right. Well, it's it's not their business, but she should also not be allowing them to think that it's because she won't put out. Mm. And she does not do enough to convince them of that, obviously, or at least does not convince Todd of that. Right. Because Todd's a dick. Oh, <laughs> Todd is only a dick when he's around Billy and Summer. Todd yeah, with his Todd's, mum. Yeah, Todd with his mum and the Undertaker is delightful and dries the dishes. <laughs> yes, it does. Like that. Yes. Uh, uh, summer storylines, eh? Yeah. What are you going to do with them? Uh, can we can we stop them? I don't think we can stop them. I think I think they've been going too long to be stopped. Can now, we can but. we stop? doing the same one over and over and over again and maybe progress I mean when I think about recently couples that have been on again off again you got Summer and Aaron whose main hobby together seems to be splitting up and getting back together again Eileen and George were for the longest time on again and off again right 
They seem to be firmly on now. Fizz and Phil on again, off again. And now firmly off, unfortunately. It's just... And for a while, Gary and Maria were on and again, off again. But of course, that included murder and a miscarriage. Remember when Maria had a miscarriage? Yeah. Good thing. <sighs> no, it's just... Especially here when you have someone who has enough going on without all this, who had the whole... Right. Uh, the, the Daniel stuff that was pretty ill-advised, but... but it's at least a little different. Well, you I know, guess. time is time is ticking. She's of a certain age now. She has to lose her virginity on the show. Yep. All the <laughs> it's all a the, requirement. All the Oxford stuff. All the diabetic stuff. All the eating sc- disorder all stuff. All the scushing the insulin down the sink, and and it's like, and we're going to throw in this this metronomic relationship where tick it's on, talk it's off, right? And, oh. And where she's the one who wants to take it a step further and Aaron's the one kind of pushing her away because he's realizing that she still has this thing. Plus, he still has this mysterious issue with this person who's punching him in the chest. Yeah, let's introduce that into this mix, shall we? And it kind of seems like maybe that might have one be one of the reasons why he's constantly pushing her away because somebody is obviously abusing him. Mm -hmm. Probably a a parent. Yeah, it's gotta be the dad, right? Although occasionally it is it is the mum. Right. I don't know. All of this added together just as a blamange of story points that is <sighs> not making me endeared to no. to these characters or their plight. No. No, absolutely not. Because they're just like drama magnets. Right, yeah. And at least at least Kelly we like when even even though we're kind of exhausted by all of the stuff that she goes through. Yeah, well, her, and, and to be fair, Abby as well, it was one thing after another. Right. Not nine things simultaneously. Well, there was a period of time where everything was happening to Kelly all at once when she was homeless and also addicted to drugs again and then was assaulted while homeless and on drugs. Mm. And also had the massive guilt of Seb's death. <clears throat> but see, for me, that, uh, that was different. And I don't know, I don't know why, but... It, right. it, it was handled differently, and, and I was. I think it's because in it. I think it, it's because Kelly is written better than Summer is. Yeah, I think Summer has some of the, Summer has some of the same issues that that Jack does, where you have this actor playing a character significantly younger than the age that they are. And so you're already putting them, making them awkward by dressing them in a certain way to make them look younger. And then they have to act younger in a way that just doesn't feel true to life. At least Summer is a decent height for someone who is supposed to be a certain age. But anyway, you know, it just, there's something. Yeah, Kieran's 15. Yeah, and he's playing an 11 year old. Yeah. Which is, you know. It worked when he was younger, but once he hit that growth spurt, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was all over. But, yeah, there's just something about Summer. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if in part it's because of the the head swap a few years ago. No, I don't think it is. I I think I'm given, I'm I'm given. Because we'd finally warmed to that Summer and then we lost her. Yeah, but I think we've we've had uh, Harriet Bibby in the role for long enough, and I'm and I'm, I'm warm enough to her, right? Uh, and accepting of her as the as Summer Two Point Oh, right? I just think it's 
did the setup with the with the dad feels awkward still. Yes. And so the setup anyway has kind of question marks on it. And I think just because of the amount of things that they're throwing on her is really kind of probably her first major storyline. Just it just seems to be too much. And it and and they also keep on forgetting bits about it. Like the eating disorder. That that just drifts away and then comes back again. And the story line itself kind of drifts away and comes back again right because we we have scenes where it seems like she has learned her lesson and she doesn't want to be put back in the hospital but then she turns around and does the same thing squishes the insulin away and again again, this is a character that we are led to believe is highly intelligent Mm -hmm. and yet does really dumb things that are not brain and intellectual intelligence or emotional intelligence for someone of her age and or the, social intelligence it's just she is she's not written very well for what they want us to believe that character is and they gave her far too many lines where she goes on about oxford that went on for far too long right yeah so especially, you're like fuck this i'm just not interested in this anymore especially since you know we had all of that and then all of a sudden she decides she's just not going to go to any university right, so we so we sat through all that for nothing then right and oh. that's infuriating right let's move on then to our next story which is oh, please cut your own bloody hair on <laughs> monday at the hospital audrey is introduced to becky the psychiatry liaison officer Audrey insists that she's fine, but Becky needs to make sure that that's true. After all, if her neighbour hadn't found her last night, Audrey might be pan-bred. Audrey gradually warms to Becky, who just wants to know what really happened. How much time have you got, says Audrey. And then we don't hear what she tells her, No, which is infuriating. And then Stephen's back. Yay! Sarah bumps into him outside the factory, and they arrange to meet later. He's worried because that he can't get a hold of Audrey. And now she's been discharged from the hospital after her conversation with Becky when she gets a call from Stephen wondering how she is and letting her know that he's back and he's she's lying to him about where she is and right. what she's been doing and stuff. But they arranged to meet the rovers later. And as she's getting a taxi, she's spotted by Ed, who's there for being electrocuted by a radiator last week. Yes. Sarah and Audrey finally meet up for their drink and talk about Stephen being back. Then Ed comes along and asks if Audrey is okay after her hospital visit. Sarah probes Audrey on this, who comes up with a cockamamie tale about her visiting a friend, Barbara, with her trans daughter. Sarah asks if she's okay, and Audrey runs off to see Steve, Stephen, who has just come in. Now, is this the first reference to a trans character since, uh, what's her name, died? Haley. Yeah. I can't remember. I haven't been keeping track of my spreadsheet. <laughs> but I'll start, I'll start keeping track of that now. It seems like the first time a living trans character has been mentioned on the show. No, I did love the bit. And that's where Audrey is explaining to Sarah about Barbara. And Sarah is is interested to hear the story right. about, uh, about why she was meeting Barbara. Right. And uh, Audrey says, well, I was there for Barbara. Well, what's wrong with Barbara? Well, there's nothing wrong with Barbara. Right. And why was Barbara in the hospital? Well, Barbara was there to go to the toilet because she was warmed by the toilet. And then she got caught up uh, in the whole system in uh-huh. the hospital. And Sarah's like, really? She's like, no, of course not. Of course not. But the way that Audrey was winding Sarah up there, I thought was brilliant. It was great. So on Wednesday, Sarah and Audrey are having breakfast and eating their rolls when Debbie comes in and tells Audrey that she has the lease documentation drawn up for the salon if Audrey wants to pop in to sign. Audrey makes her excuses and she and Stephen leave without committing to anything. And Debbie pretends that this is okay. She's desperate for money in another storyline. Yes. Outside of Maxine's bench, Stephen tries to cheer Audrey up by telling her that Barry Manilow is gay. 
and there's no way in the world that he's going to shag her now. Was was there any was there was there any hope there to begin? I think, with? I think a woman can dream. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. Some of that Barry Manilow music does slap. <laughs> I grew up listening to it from the back seat of the car as a child. Lots of Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond. Oof. It was my dad who was into it. That's, none of that surprises me. <laughs> Again, cut out when this mega millions drops, by the way. <laughs> <clears throat> but then he realises that she's staying at the salon. He asks what's wrong and she explains that she just needs some time to figure out what exactly she wants. Then Nick invites Audrey to lunch at the bistro because it's been 24 hours since the last had a disappointing meal there. Debbie appears and wants to talk about the lease again and Audrey snaps, tells her to fuck off while she's having lunch with Nick and Debbie pretends to understand and Nick, now Nick, is curious to know if Audrey is alright. Mm. Nick asks if she's not ready to open the salon but Audrey says that she doesn't want to open it at all. Mm. She's got everything that she needs now that Stephen's back in her life and Nick understands. And then Stephen wanders in, complaining about actions from another storyline, so Nick calms him down by showing him the bistro kitchen. And the office. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yeah, so Audrey, who, let's remember, like two weeks ago, insisted she was going to take the barbers back over because she could still cut hair. Right. And she still owns it. Well, she was drunk when that happened. Right, but still, there was... Even when you are drunk, as you... do you remember a time in your life when you were drunk? <laughs> Do I remember just a single I know time? It, I know it's been a while. Yes, I, I can remember times when I was drunk. Right. And you did things and you I said things. things. I did say things. That you wouldn't say when you were sober. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they weren't true things that you genuinely felt. Right. Sometimes the filter was removed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So... Just because you're drunk doesn't necessarily mean that you don't want to cut hair. Right. But it feels like it could also be one of those things where you wake up in the morning and you go, do you know what? I really don't want to cut hair. Hmm. But anyway, she's and not And not just in because the- she was trapped under a motorcycle, which was parked <laughs> inside. Right. And, and not bolted to the floor. You need to think that you're going to ask people before you buy them hairdressing salons, right? Right. I mean... Even if they got her a pet, they would think, oh, maybe I should check and make sure that she could responsibly take care of this kitty cat. Right. And I don't know exactly what she's getting out of Stephen being there, because... Just just him being there, because, you know, she loves him so much more than all of the other members of her family. Put together. Right. Mm -hmm. For absolutely no reason. Yeah. Not that I know how that feels. So have they... I guess if the lease hasn't been signed, then... No harm, no foul. They get their money back, I guess. They've decorated the whole place. We've been led to believe that Nick helped. Right. Yeah. And see, this is the part that confuses me. They have been in that salon. They have updated that salon. They have painted walls. They have taken things out. They have put things in. And no one has signed a lease yet? Right. That's not how that works. (laughs) That's not how any any of of this this works. works. And that's this week's. That's not how any of this works. <laughs> oh, I need to make a jingle for that. that. That sounds like that could be quite a fun thing to do. Yes, because let's be honest, it happens a lot. Yeah, but it's just once a week, I think. Just once a week, that's not how any of this works. Right, yes. Yeah, let's aim for that. Yes. All right, next storyline is Debbie Downer. 
On Wednesday, wah, wah. Sad trombone. On Wednesday, in Nina's roles, Debbie seems to be agitated about Audrey not signing her lease yet, and Ronnie worries that she can't pay Ed's compo. Debbie says she just needs some more money coming in, so Ronnie suggests themed nights at the bistro, and Debbie decides to go all in with the first suggestion that's been mentioned to her. And, you know, when he first says this, I think about some of the theme nights we have been to, and which we, ironically, this week, we're discussing with our favourite chef about theme nights that he's been doing at the restaurant, at the new restaurant he is at. Yep. And remembering fondly, like, his 80s night or the theme with a particular winery or a particular set of of whiskeys. And I'm like, oh, that would be such a great idea for the bistro because it's very classy and, you know, you can put the theme together and bring in food, you know, create a specific menu and it would be really delightful but that's not what she does no and i don't think that's ever what she intended to do no these apparently nights, by the way are like they're kind of like uh, fixed prefix or uh set chef dinners where you get like seven courses but they're right. all like kind of tiny little tasting dishes yeah and they're wonderful. And they're really fancy. And, you feel and they're fancy. delicious. Right. Yes. And there's and they're paired very well with a specific cocktail or or wine. This is something the bistro could very easily do. Yeah. And I, yet And yet Debbie has two ideas. Yes. Leanne is not impressed by Debbie's first idea, which is for a psychic night. Right. Because because let's remember, Leanne's been burned by psychics before. Yeah, I got the chance to use the word hoodwinked in my notes to describe that after Oliver died. And nor is she impressed by the next night that Debbie has up her sleeve, which is the casino night because they don't have a license. But yeah, we can get round about that by just making it pretend money and stuff. Hmm. Paul comes along and loudly wonders if the psychic can tell when Ed will get his compo. I do know the Well psychic. done, Paul. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Well done indeed for sticking up for old Ed. On Friday, well, it's his, it's his boss, isn't right, it? Right, yeah. So he wants to get paid too. Right. On Friday at the Beast Road, Debbie is arranging tables for the psychic night. Uh, Leanne reprises her objection, so Debbie offers a free helpline for those affected afterwards, which right. I thought was quite funny. And then she says, chill, Leanne. It's not like, it's not like it, we're having a tattoo night. Tattoo will do nicely that's across the street. Could uh, right. could have helped out on that. There you go. That would have been fun. And speed dial, Ryan announces that they're out of prawns. And maybe if Alia had paid attention to the orders rather than flirting with Matt, she'd know that he fucked up the delivery. So Alia casts up Daisy to Ryan. So Ryan quits. And he throws his apron. He does. Debbie's on the street drumming up business for the psychic and casino nights. Dev, who has tucked in his French uh, onion seller's shirt, <laughs> is up for the casino. Sadly, he is missing his beret, though, and his, and his wee ascot. And his string of onions. And, and his, his bicycle. And his cigarette and his cigarette holder. His galois and his ho hee ho hee ho And his, and his wee little moustache that is just thin enough to not be mistaken for a Hitler moustache. Bernie comes along and reckons that if Debbie is rolling in cash, her Paul should be due some compo for the emotional distress that Ed getting electrocuted by the radiator had caused. I'd have thought he'd more have a case for loss of earnings. Right, yes. But this is Bernie we're talking about right. here. So Ryan goes to the pub and talks to Jane about walking out on his job and admits that it's hard to see Alia move on like this. He reckons it might be time for him <sighs> to do that because he's got mates that have set up another pub in Ibiza. I think the he same mates that did this... Have 
few weeks ago, a few months ago rather. A few years ago. A few years ago as well. And this is overheard by Debbie who asks him for some help with the theme nights getting paid under the table. Mm. Because that's a clue that, that Debbie's uh, prepared to go to any lengths here. Right, yes. Back at the base show, Debbie and Leanne are loudly arguing about the theme nights and implying Ryan getting paid under the table is not a good idea. Ronnie calms things down, but Debbie looks like she might be at the end of her tether. These theme nights aren't going to touch the sides of what she owes, but might cover Ed's compo. Ed wants 30 grand, so she reckons that these two nights are going to pull in 15 grand each. I don't know how unreasonable that is. And I don't know, because it doesn't seem like... Feels unreasonable. And it doesn't seem like she's... She's tying these theme nights. It's just to get people in the door and then hoping that they will buy food while watching this psychic it kind of and feels doing the casino night. That she's hoping that every customer who comes through the door generates a thousand pounds in profit for her. That's kind of how it seemed. Right. So yeah. There's like a dozen people there for the psychic. And, and, and again, you know, it's like they don't have to pay to get in the door. She doesn't have a cover charge set up. Well, not that we know of. Yeah, and one would think that she would mention that or it would be on one of those posters and it's not in either one of those posters. She's, so how is she making money off of this? Because she's, I'm, I'm, I'm she's assuming paying she's, the psychic. she's paying the psychic. She's given some real thought to declaring herself bankrupt or pulling an insurance job. Kidding, not kidding, kidding. Ronnie tells her that she'll find a way. Sienna the psychic arrives at the bistro. Her spirit guide is jojoba, which I think is a type of shampoo, isn't it? It's a... Uh, it's a nut. I think it's a nut. Yeah, I think it's yeah, yeah. That, but at least, at, at least it's not. Derek Pokora. <laughs> Barry loves Dick. Betty, Barry loves Dick. Betty, one five nine three six. Mary loves Dick. Mary does indeed. Loves Love Dick. Dick. Rest, she hears Leanne. Rest in power. Derek, Derek Pokora. Pokora. Yeah, you never saw that coming. <laughs> no. When she, that's a joke of the week. When she hears Leanne talking to Toya, she checks her cheat sheet that she's got and asks if, does the name Imran mean anything to oh anyone? Oh, God! Leanne proactively boots Sienna in the pie and she and, Le- and Toya leave. Ryan goes to apologise to Alia, but on his way he sees her and Matt outside the speed dial and changes his mind. So back at the bistro, he's getting some chat from Sienna. She knows that he used to DJ in Ibiza and keeps calling him Brian. Debbie once again hears Ryan lament about his life in the Balearics. Sienna has a residence in Mallorca, I think she says, and she highly recommends it. Debbie wants to run an idea past Ryan when he gets a minute. Ironically, Sienna is dying as she tries to cold read the bistro audience, but she starts to have some luck with an actor in a non-speaking role who therefore can't object to her pish. And later... Debbie comes clean to Ryan about her finances. All the hotels that she has are bought on loans that are against each other. Mm. And she has an idea, though, for them to both being able to turn their lives around. And she suggests that he helps her in an insurance scam by staging a break-in that'll pay for him to start a new life abroad. She gives him until tomorrow to think about it. That's as far as we get with that this week. I'm glad that we've got the kind of scheming Debbie back because I was kind of missing that about Debbie. Mm. Yes. She is a schemer. Yeah. And she has loose morals, but not like that. Please, fast and uh, loose with the although rules. We get we get a hint at Ronnie and Debbie's sex life a little bit this week, now, which I found I jotted down delightful. the word anal. <laughs> was that what they were getting at? It was heavily implied. 
that she only does that on his, on birthday. his birthday. And, oh, well. and unless she's talking about a blowjob. Uh, could be. Yeah. For this to work, we need to say goodbye to Ryan. But Ryan has been so bereft of storyline lately <sighs> that that might not be a bad idea. And I mean, it's not like his mum and his brother are still in the show. Somebody posted on Twitter this week that the show's remembered that Ryan's had nothing to do, has had no no house, right. no relationship. Yeah, where uh, is he living? No family, still at the Rovers. Is he? Mm-hmm. He's got a room at the Rovers. I thought he moved out of there after he and Daisy went kaput. No, he moved back. Did he? Mm-hmm. When? He moved back. This features in the opening credits to Ryan's Nest. That that bit. When Jenny goes to find him in the garden and says, come on, you're coming back with me. Oh, that's right. I remember that now. Yeah. So he's had nothing, literally nothing in his life. Right. No apart family. From, apart from work. No family. No girlfriend. For a year. Yeah. yeah. And yet we love Ryan. He's, he's grown great. on us. He's great. But and I really don't want to lose another character I like. But being great isn't enough. He needs to be doing interesting things and he just simply hasn't been doing anything yeah. for so long. So maybe this would be a maybe this would be a way to get him out. Although if there's one adjective that you can add to insurance scam break-ins, mm-hmm. it's the word botched. Yeah. They never seem to go right. No. He's gonna get caught, we know that. And maybe killed. I hope. Cause not not enough people have are or died this year on Well, we had so many die before. Eight died last year. Yeah, that's enough. We don't need anybody to die this year. We're at three so far this year. Because I was making the start to my memoriam. That's right, because uh, Kelly's mum died. Kelly's mum died. Imran, you may remember, he died. Imran died. died. I I still try to block that out of my memory. And dead, dead. Dead Ted's dead. Dead Ted is dead. (laughs) Yes. So we've had two years where a Ted died. Because somebody in the writer's room has a has a thing against people named Ted. I, d- I don't know. I keep on naming them Ted, but they just keep on dying. <laughs> yeah. I, but I think this has been an interesting little development because Debbie is seen as being the kind of successful businesswoman sort of thing. But here she is not. But it seems to be the hotels that are having the, the, the main right. trouble. And- how, how does a hotel lose well, money? Well, let's remember, part of the reason why Debbie, why the Bistro is having problems is not Debbie's fault. It's because Leanne illegally took money out of the business to pay for Toya's lawyer and hasn't paid that back yet. Oh, she said she's going to pay it back. Though. Right, but she hasn't. <laughs> but she said that she's... And yet Leanne is all indignant with, with Debbie. She's just as bad, if not worse. Yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I'm kind of happy with her being this conniving and desperate right. to survive and not wanting to clear herself bankrupt and right. really want to go to any length. And, and she's not exactly been secretive about it to Ronnie, whereas you'd maybe expect her to be. I think she was still kind of hoping that maybe Ronnie could help her out. And well, because let's remember... She, she was trying to get money from, from Kev. Kev. And yeah. And stuff and, but Kev was busy in another storyline, yeah. losing his mind. <laughs> right which we'll get to shortly. Yes, we will. All right, very quickly, I think we've got four sentences to talk about Tim's Bobby. Uh, Do we have to? Yeah. On Friday, Tim and Sally are back. 
Yay. He's been tossing and turning all night and she hasn't been sleeping. He offers to sleep in the spare room, but she's appalled at the suggestion of more distance between them. In the factory, Sally's talking to Beth about Tim's nocturnal ramblings and Beth suggests that she gets her hole. Then Dev is chatting to Tim at the cab office, telling him about the casino night at the bistro. Tim says that he's not on much of a lucky streak at the minute, but might invite Sally along. And at home, Tim has cooked dinner and promises to take Sally out to the casino night. They could dress up for it, something that they're particularly good at doing. Like Great Gatsby characters. Yeah, and that's, that's all that happens there. Yeah. That's just reminding us that they still haven't finished the storyline. Yeah, I, I, feel, I feel bad for Sally because, you know, because of this whole not getting her whole thing. Which is still going on. Yeah. But she's she seemed to be making her peace with it that that she was happy for them just to be doing what the sex therapist had suggested to them. But then Tim remember was uh, pulling the head off it at right. the kitchen table that time and right. I don't know what, what if he's still continuing to do that. Because that, that that seems to indicate something darker here, doesn't it? If he's able to get it up for porn, but not for his wife. Hmm. I mean, not that porn is necessarily bad, but when it gets in the way of relationships with actual people, that's when it starts to get kind of bad. Right. And we don't really want a porn addiction, do we? Storyline. I don't really want a porn addiction storyline. I'm not not clambering for one, no. No. Oh, well. it It would be helpful if... If Sally were, and who knows, maybe she is and we're just not hearing about it. If Sally were comfortable enough to take care of herself, as it were, because then maybe that would light a fire under Tim. Mm. This is already morphed from a different storyline into another different storyline because right. this was Tim's heart to begin with, remember? Yes. It was Tim's heart and it was Tim's operation and then it was, it was Tim's, Tim's heart. Uh, impotence and then Tim's it seems porn to be moving addiction. into something else here and i'm not sure what the what the big storyline is other than it might be i really hope they don't just split tim them and up. sally and if it's tim and sally then obviously there's a danger of them splitting up <sighs> I, I don't know i don't think that serves either character no to be doing that right but because they're such a team yeah but it's like can we not just decide what we want the storyline to be and then and again and again Sally's children are no longer on the show and Sally's sister is no longer on the show. So it's not like it's not like Sally has anyone else. If you get rid of Tim, then Sally becomes Ryan. Whereas at least Tim has Faye. Although we haven't seen Faye in a while. Well, and I maybe shouldn't say that. Sally seems to have Abby and seems to have our, our friends at work. Right. But, and Yasmin. But yeah, it's a... Uh, I don't know. I just wish I knew where it was getting to. Right. And, and then I wish it would hurry up and get there. Right. Yeah, because this is kind of Summer's diabetes and eating disorder in Oxford all over again, isn't bit. it? Something that just one of those keeps cycling just, right. and cycling and it never gets better and there's never any growth and it never seems to go anywhere. Yeah, and it'll disappear for a couple of weeks and it'll come back again. Right. And, and it's still just and spinning that, its wheels. Right. Our final storyline tonight is Kev's bad week. It's It's not only bad. It's terrible. It's very bad. Horrible. No good. Very bad week. I actually felt sorry for Kev at a couple of points this week. I didn't. I laughed so much. <laughs> that On that the... one scene. Oh, they did that a few times. It was hilarious. 
On Monday, Kev is very preoccupied with decorating the nursery and seems to have forgotten all about Jack's ear- end-of-year presentation. And generally, just about Jack. Seemingly, a teacher helped him with his homework from last week that um, Kev refused to do. Stephen's back. Yay. He drops his jag off at the garage and asks him to make it a priority job. He has because of course he has because of course he has a jag and of course he insists that he become the priority because this is who Stephen is now, the most un-Canadian Canadian I've ever met in my life. <laughs> right. Kev has an empty diary with for an today. Ohio accent. Right. So Ty thought some. It's not really his accent. It's that he says words weird. He has, he sees full stops where there aren't full stops. He kind of sounds like Piglet. <laughs> Doesn't he? Kev has an empty diary for today, so Ty slots him in. But not like that. Kev is still up to high door getting paint and supplies into the house and isn't best pleased when Tyrone approaches him wondering where the fuck he's been all morning. Kev insists that he's taking the day off, but there was no sticker on the chart, so Ty needs him back at work. Kev tells Ty he can stick his sticker off his arse. Right, right up, up his, his arse. arse. At school, Kev, no, at school, Jack is preparing for his speech with help from Joseph, who is still alive and lovely. <laughs> then Jack gets picked on by a bully three feet shorter than him. <laughs> About the weirdest thing ever. He has found out from Ruby that Jack's dad used to be her dad or something, and the kids start calling him Spanner for no good reason. Because, but because both of his dads are mechanics, and I guess that's something... In the year of our Lord, 2022, to make fun of someone. And also the implication that he has two dads, which I guess in the year 2022 is something that we make fun of. I don't know, but Spanner seemed to catch on very quickly. It did, which is a weird, it's a weird nickname to pick on someone significantly taller than you who could squish you like a bug. So it was a little shot. I don't want to make too much of a big deal about it because... It you're is ma- bullying. You're, you're making fun of... Right. A, the, the, a, young, a young lad being tall. Right. But they did have him in a, in a scene where... Everyone f- else is like two feet shorter. Belly, right? Yeah. And they're mocking him. And not because he's a giant. Because they could all kill him. He, he could kill them all. Right. And not because he only has one leg. Because let's remember, he only has one leg. Well, Kev says, well, they take the piss at you because you're like, no. No, no, it's because you and Tyrone are both my dads. At the garage, Kev gets a call from the school telling him there's been an incident involving Jack. So Kev downs tools and without a word, leaves his co-workers in the lurch and marches off. And he gets to school and finds that Jack has battered Nathan for calling him Spanner and going on about Tyrone being his dad. Kev is furious and drags Jack home because Nathan is so distressed by being beaten up by an adult that... <laughs> But it's best if Jack doesn't give his speech today after all. Right, yes. And we're just going to ignore the fact that this other kid was bullying him for having two dads. Right. And so essentially started it, even though he didn't throw the first punch. Because if he had thrown the first punch, Jack would never have children. Stephen gets back to his car and Kev has a minor breakdown himself and has to admit that he hasn't touched it. Stephen decides to be a dick about this, so Aaron jumps in and says his car will be ready by noon tomorrow right. and tells Kev that he can work overtime to fix it. Kev calls him a lifesaver. Stephen walks away muttering something about a meeting. Right, yeah, who, who's he having meetings with? His business is in Milan. And he's been back for a day. Right, and he has meetings? You don't, you don't get a car in a day. Right. It doesn't happen. 
Right. And you don't set up meetings in a day. And it's hilarious because every time somebody questions him about it, like, oh, what are these meetings that are so important? Or where is your meeting? Or who do you have a meeting with? He never says. He never specifies. He just keeps shouting about all of these meetings that he's supposedly having. Those very important meetings. That right. Got. I have this very important meeting with this guy about well, this thing. one, get a taxi or two, Zoom. Right. Because apparently he's too good to take the tram. Like a normal person. <laughs> like a person who cares about the environment. Back home, Jack and Kev are still at loggerheads. Kev wants to talk about it, but Jack thinks he has no time for him as it is unless he punches people at school. Fuck you, Kev, says Jack, and he storms off. You don't call me Kev, says Kev. Happy. <laughs> On Wednesday, Kev's trying to build... And, and David pokes his head around the door and says, Well done, Jack. On Wednesday, Kev's trying to build the cop, but despite being a mechanic and good with his hands for 40 years, it has a better of him and it falls to pieces. Kev, well, no, just one side pops off. It flies one off. One side. Just like magically, yeah, it jumps off. Kev looks to the sky <laughs> so and screams, funny. Why have you forsaken me, oh Ikea? <laughs> Jack appears looking for money for a cinema trip with his friends, but Kev wants to talk some more about the social worker and Abby and Alfie. And then Chloe arrives and Kev tells Jack to be in his best behaviour. Chloe tries to inject engage Jack in conversation but Jack is busy eating his cereal and then goes to the door to, uh, for Chesney Kev is trying hard to impress Chloe and Jack isn't joining in and goes to leave with Chesney and Kev explains that it's Jack's last day of primary school and Chloe spits out an imaginary cup of tea <laughs> but he's 28 she says what's wrong with him Kev puts Jack's insolence down to the fact that he was nervous Chloe is impressed with the changes to the house but wonders how Kev will cope if Abby relapses Kev's mouth suddenly generates a ton of saliva and then he insists that he can cope and he'll love Alfie as his own as he's ready for anything. <gasps> Boo, says Chloe. Ah. Kev shits his pants a wee bit. <laughs> At the garage, Aaron has fixed Stephen's car but before Kev can take it for a spin, Stephen arrives to pick it up because he has a very important meeting and yes. can't be late. Very important meeting. But Stephen is barely around the corner when he comes storming back. The flaming car has broken down again. Kev promises to be there in 10 minutes while Stephen shouts about his fucking meeting. Aaron apologises. Right, 10 minutes isn't good enough. All right, five then. Aaron apologises, but then doesn't hang around to help Kev fix it. To which Kev, I think, screams. Kev, Once or twice. He says, don't you dare leave. And then he leaves. Right. Kev, because he's dad, I think, again. Right, and also he's supposed to be having lunch with Summer, mm. although he insists that has nothing to do with Summer. Who knows? Kev is dinging Jack's calls as he goes to push Stephen's car to the side of the road. And as he's doing that, Stephen is constantly shouting about his fucking meetings to Kev. <laughs> My so meeting! Kev is in the process of fixing Stephen's car at the roadside. It's while, almost as if he has a meeting to go to Oxford. While Stephen shouts at him. Kev makes matters worse by answering the phone to Jack's call about his cinema money. Meanwhile, Stephen goes to get another breakdown service, which for some reason irks Kev more. Just leave it with him then. Right, seriously, you don't want this guy's money. Then Abby calls to nag him about prams and car seats. So Kev snaps, take a wrench, takes a wrench and smashes up Stephen's car. Paul calls Tyrone and advises him to get his arse round here pronto. Stephen continues to shout at Kev who appears to be catatonic on the curb. Then the cops arrive and it's PC Kev's doppelganger who takes Kev to the station. Only Stephen, slightly more bald. As Stephen takes a moment from shouting about his fucking meeting to tell Kev's doppelganger that he wants Kev in handcuffs. In the police station. And also, he's not going to leave a five-star review. No. So there. 
Kevin's doppelganger are chatting about the chances of him being charged and going to court, Kev realises that this could fuck his chances with Abby and the social. Meanwhile, Abby is getting packed at Wendy's, but not like that. Back at the garage, Aaron is blaming himself. Ty tells him that the buck stops with him and Kev, and when Stephen arrives, Ty does his best to smooth things over by explaining the stuff that Kev has going on, right. the fact that his jacket hasn't been changed since the 1980s, <laughs> and, and the last time that Stephen was in the show, right. and he begs for mercy to not press charges. Why does Stephen not recognise anybody who was in the show at the time that he was in the show? <laughs> Because like he acts like he's never met any of these people before, right. except for his family. Later, Kev shows his face and tries to explain Kev's bad day to Tyrone. Ty calmly deals with it, comes clean with his conversation with Stephen, which I thought was quite brave, and tells Kev to tell Abby the truth of what's happened and what may happen yet. So Kev leaves an apologetic message on Stephen, Stephen's voicemail just as Abby comes home. She wants to go to the pub to celebrate, and as he tries to explain what happened, she insists that she really wants to go to the pub to celebrate. So they go to the pub to celebrate. Right. And at the pub, as they celebrate, Abby and Sally are having such fun that Kev decides not to go into it. Meanwhile, Stephen turns up at the cop shop to give a statement about the damage done to his car. Bum, bum, bum. And we're left to think that he's about to drop Kev in it. Yes. On Friday, Jack continues to be sullen and ignoring Kev. Kev decides that with Abby coming back today, it's best if Jack fucks off into town. Which is totally normal 15-year-old behaviour. Yeah. Kev's a jit, but he's not 15. Right. But he is 15. <laughs> right. But he's 11. It's kind of total. Or 12. Right. It's, it's, it's puberty. Mm -hmm. It's normal for kids to have a personality change during puberty. But then Kev suggests that he goes to the movies, which I thought, are you utterly tone deaf here? Go to the movies was a problem yesterday. Right. And, and, and Jack rightly says, oh, are you going to give me money this time? Right. <laughs> because apparently Jack sounds like your ex-husband. <laughs> which one? <laughs> So anyway, he storms out. Kev and Tyrone are back from fresh go with a CIA standard baby monitor. Kev ropes Ty into fitting it. When there's a knock at the door, and it's the cops, the CPS has decided not to press charges, and neither has Stephen. Kev is off the hook, says his doppelganger. Because apparently he doesn't have a record. Is that true? Has Kev never done anything illegal on the show, well, ever? he assaulted John Stape in the street for uh, sleeping with Rosie. Right. Was he ever charged for that? I can't remember. I'm sure people will tell us. Hmm. Maybe get some use out of that hindsight corner. I know. Uh, I haven't gone. Haven't used. I haven't gone bloop 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 in so long. But not like that. <laughs> the cops leave just as Abby draws up in a taxi, wondering what the very fucking hell has been going on. Kevin Tyrone insists it was nothing, which is more than enough of an explanation for Abby. At home, Kev is shown off the baby monitor that Tyrone set up. Abby wants to take everyone out for a curry treat later, and then she goes on about Alfie and whatever. At the curry house, it's Abby and Kev, and they're enjoying their meal when Stephen turns up and Kev tries to hide under the table. But Stephen spots his wee feet and tells him that he's dropping the charges. Charges, asks Abby. What charges? Stephen makes his excuses and leaves, so Kev is forced to explain what happened. He didn't tell her because it could have fucked up her chance of getting Alfie. Right. Back home, Kev explains about everything and how Jack feels like a third-class citizen and isn't exactly doing cartwheels about Abby and Alfie coming in to live with them, which isn't really the case. It's no, no. It's not Abby that Jack has a problem with. It's Kev. Right. And he should have a problem with Kev because Kev is a bad father who doesn't seem to care about his own child. He's been a terrible father this week. And I'm not sure that the social expects perfection. No. No, yeah, he acts like he has to make the house perfect 
that's that's not the case. And also, I think the social would care more about the fact that you can parent the child you already have. Mm. So Abby's crushed by this. She thinks just if, like Rana. She thinks the pair of them would be better off without her and Alfie. We are family, says Kev. Hey, 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 yeah, he, yeah. I've got all my sisters with me. And he promises he'll look after Alfie, even if she winds up back on the muck again. But Abby can't be persuaded. I want you back, says Kev. Oh, won't you give me one more chance? Kev proves that they're all part of a family by dinging in another call from Jack. He wants to talk before anyone makes any rash decisions, just like Mac the Knife. Hmm. Kev goes to pick up Jack, who promises to stay. Finally. Right. He picks him up late. He looks at his phone. He's like, oh, that's right. I was supposed to pick him up an hour ago. It's that episode of The Simpsons where Homer goes to pick up Bart, but he's turned into a skeleton in a soccer uniform because he's so late. Right. Or that 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 two and a half men episode where... Oh, nobody watches that. <laughs> yes, but everybody has seen the meme where one says to the other, I feel like I've forgotten something. And, and Charlie Sheen says... If it were important, you would remember it. And he says, yeah, you're probably right. And then you see the kid in the pouring down rain in his soccer uniform. That meme has been used time and again nah. for neglecting things. So Kev says family a lot again and promises change. He also pressures Jack by saying that Abby might not move back in after all. They get home. Abby shouts Kev, which wakes up Bertie and Alfie and Cleo. Abby has a word with Jack and says and the other quads. there's no need to rush into them all being happy about her being there. Jack pretends that he hasn't already said all this, but he doesn't have a problem with her and Alfie being there and he begs her to stay. And this puts Abby in a position. She worries that Jack was only saying those things because that's what they wanted to hear. So he shows them his speech that he wrote at the start oh, of the week. Right, yeah, we finally get to hear the speech. <clears throat> he didn't get to read it out because of that spanner nickname. Abby reads out the speech in which he praises his dad for raising him on his own and how Abby and Alfie complete his family and it's not always plain sailing but they'll always have each other even if Abby goes back in the muck. Kev tries to put her off as she's reading this by holding her hand. So it's settled then. Jack calls Alfie his brother. They have a group hug. Abby then passes responsibility for changing nappies onto Jack. And that is how we end this week's episodes. Yep. I do have a problem with this happy families kind of thing. And I do see people saying, oh, isn't it lovely to see Kev and Abby and Jack and Alfie all back together again? And I'm like, is it? <laughs> I'm not sure that it is. It's like Imran never even existed. Right. I'm still sore about that. Yeah. Yeah. So am I. Hmm. Yeah. It seems to really gloss over the fact that she almost kidnapped that baby and took him to Costa Rica mm -hmm. where she doesn't speak the language. She's thrown, I don't know how much money at false paperwork that I think Kev gave her the money for. Right, but he thought it was like something else or whatever. The fact that, you know, Jack had a very, he wasn't mad for nothing. No. And yet it's all glossed over at the end. Kev never apologizes to that kid for no. being a dick to him. No. And Kev gets away. Kev is the new hope. He gets away with smashing up somebody's car. Mm -hmm. And yes, okay, he's oh, going to pay for the repairs. And Peter did as well, remember? Oh, yes. And Maria. <laughs> wow. It's the new punching somebody in the street and getting away with it. Yeah, we're, we're still doing that. It's true. But it's just... How long can it last? 
And what is going to be the next thing that breaks Abby and Kev up mm-hmm. because the show realizes that they're horrible together and they need to do something else. She's, but then they decide, but then they realize that they can't think of anything else to do with the two of them except to put Abby back on the muck and have her surprisingly be pregnant and not know it, even though she's given birth twice already. She seems to have uh, mentioned at least Kev's age. You ain't getting any younger, she said to him. Mm. Now, that wasn't a, we're not getting any younger. That was a, you're, you're not, not getting, getting any, any younger. younger. Yes. I, on the other hand, I'm getting any younger. Yes. So I don't know if that was a, 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 the beginnings of some kind yeah, of I thought realization. It was, I thought it was interesting, you know, all of this focus on, Kev, you might be stuck with these two kids and Abby might be out of the picture. But is it more likely... That it will be Abby raising these two boys on her own and Kev be out of the picture. Mm. We haven't had a heart attack in a while. Right. Since Imran. And I was actually worried about Kev as he was pushing that car. Right. Yeah. As he was pushing that car, yeah, he looked because, like he was... Because he's already, you know, his, his blood pressure is already up. Through the roof. Through the roof. And this behavior of his, not exactly... I mean, people are complaining about Jack's personality change. At least that can be blamed on puberty. Mm-hmm. What is what is Kev's problem? Except maybe, you know, a stroke or early stage dementia <laughs> or something for his personality change. Kev's entire motivation over the past couple of weeks has been Abby and Alfie coming back, which I can understand. I can understand them has his concerns and his stress over that but I, I don't think I don't think you need to have a nursery in your house for to have a baby in the house there's he seems to be making this more complicated for himself I guess is my point right and there's also this uncharacteristic bits of Abby where she's constantly calling him and nagging him to build a crib and to buy a car seat which you think that she already would have because that baby has been in a car before now mm. practically born in one really Seriously. So so it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I am, it was an uninspiring week and it ended in a very uninspiring, happy family way. Yeah. I, that just is not convincing at all. Because once again, because let's remember the last time that it seemed like Kev and Abby were going to break up because Kev didn't think that Jack was ready to accept Abby as his mother. He had to protect he, Jack at all costs, remember? Right, yes. Jack wrote a letter and read it aloud to Abby saying how much he wanted her to be his mother. So it's almost like this is this kid's coping mechanism <laughs> is to write something for the two of them to read mm-hmm. because apparently him saying these words have no effect <laughs> on them. They have to read them written down for them to believe them. So the fact that Kev just dinged the call was... Really, again, this is like for the third day in the bounce that you're just ignoring calls from your son. Yeah, your own child. Where you have said multiple times that Jack is your number one concern. Right. No, no, I do care about you, kid. No, no, you've you've got the wrong end of the stick. No, you're not more important than Abby and Alfie. And yet, and yeah. yet. The thing that I disliked about the Kev stuff was there were so many, there were so many chances to sort that out 
at the start of it, when Tyrone realises that Kev was supposed to have the day off, pick up the phone, speak to the guy and say, we can't do this after all, I'm sorry. Or phone up one of your own mechanic mates right. and see if you can outsource it right. and get it fixed. Call Abby. Or, or Stephen can get a bus. Or Stephen can get a taxi. Right. Or Stephen can have a Zoom meeting. Or... Stephen didn't have any meetings, let's face it. He had no meetings. He just wanted to be a dick. Right. So there were so many things that were happening because of the plot dictated it. And I'm sorry, those little shots where Kev's looking at the ceiling and zooming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. I didn't like that. So dumb. I didn't like that. So poorly done. I don't know what it added. Nothing. I don't know what extra insight that gave and then us the whole Kev's fade condition. in from like a white shot to Stephen's face and then Stephen screaming about meetings again yeah right like, this and, man's had, had a wrench and once again and we'll take it to your personality face. change with Stephen being this really anal retentive guy who must get to meetings and is a dick with a jaguar you know and it's too good to take the tram mm sort of thing only because we need somebody to be a dick to Kev to make him go See, crazy and then immediately as soon as as soon as Tyrone says to Stephen you know he's had a hard time you know his wife's son died horribly and then she had a baby and then the baby was taking you know doing the whole life story mm-hmm. Stephen immediately calms down and is a nice guy again so I kind of was expecting I'm expecting Stephen to be a, a wrong one Right. So I'm expecting him to be after Audrey's money. That's what I'm expecting to happen. Right. So this him being an asshole to Kev was kind of, and and what I think his character is going to be meant to be. Right. But you're right. It it seems to chop and change depending on who he's talking to. Right. Yeah. Because let's remember, yeah. he was also kind of a he was dick. A dick to Yasmin. Around, you know, well, not to Yasmin, but around Yasmin, because mm. you know, being a dick to homeless people who aren't there to defend themselves. Yeah. And also Andy Warhol, who is dead and can't defend himself for his art. World's worst Canadian, definitely. Oh, well, that was the week that was Coronation Street. What was uh, your moment of the week? I don't know. I think my favourite thing was from Monday, and I think it was Phil. That side of the crib popping off. No. <laughs> I did laugh. I laughed so hard with that. It was funny. Yeah, I think it's Phil quoting Walt Whitman. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, that's our moment of the week. We miss you, Big Bear. It was really well done, and he he read it well. He missed out little bits of it, but I'm I'm guessing that was for time. Right. Your boring moment of the week. Everything else. Oh, Stephen's meetings, surely. <laughs> Stephen shouting about meetings. Well, at least that that did lead somewhere. Not to a meeting. <laughs> Is it the psychic? Oh, that was hilarious. Looking for Mary and Dick. Uh, oh, wow, it's not Stephen in these meetings? No, because that... Because that at least led to something stupid but exciting. You know, his car getting smashed in. Is it? Is it? Is it summer? <laughs> is it? Is it summer? No, is it? it it's Billy... Looking for Stu to give him a book about homelessness. Homeless people. Yes. Because Billy thinks that homeless Stu only reads things about other homeless people. Right, yes. He's like, I was telling him about it. And, and he, he like, seemed he seemed uninterested and then walked away. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, that's yeah. Madam Watchover. For a moment of Billy's the book. Week. Billy's book of Billy's big book of homeless people is our boring <laughs> moment of the week. Written by Homeless Carol. All right, well, we're going to get ready for our little Canadian trip where people are going to be shouting at each other about getting to meetings. If you have a meeting to get to, let us know about it. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Talk of the street. Talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.